I would uh, put an umbrella over all this conversation uh, by saying most of what I've seen in millennials gives me great hope. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I think there are definitely some trends that are, are very different, mm-hmm. um, but I think they're different in, in really valuable and important ways. Burlap Podcast. Here with Russ Ham, who's a pastor of Methodist Church in Macedonia, Ohio. Russ, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how many years you've been in ministry, and uh, in some churches and contexts that you've been in along the way? All right, I have. Um, I'm 56 years old, married, have three children. Uh, they're all adults. My youngest is a junior in college. My two oldest are boys, and they've both graduated from college and are working in their chosen fields, which is kind of a miracle for <laughs> 26 and 24-year-olds yeah. these days. But they're, uh, they're, they're just um, hitting everything the right, the right way for them. And, and, um, and I've been, my first career was with J.C. JCPenney. I uh, came into ministry in 1993. Uh, so that's how many years I've been in ministry. Um, lived in a lot of different places um, around uh, the, the eastern part of the United States. I was born in Washington, D.C., um, I do a lot of mission work um, right now. I've last six or seven years, I've been involved in a mission in Zimbabwe, a place that I get to frequent uh, at least once a year and uh, really enjoy that. Um, I've had churches from really small um, farm town kind of a church in Amish country mm-hmm. um, and then a, a kind of a transitional church that used to be a rural situation, but suburbs came up around it. Um, it was really a, a fascinating ministry setting. Lots of um, transient families that would move into the neighborhood uh, and then move back out. So uh, was that was a unique dynamic uh, there. A lot of construction around us at the same time. So things were constantly changing there. Um, then from there, I went to Newcomerstown, which is a kind of a stalled small town uh, here in Ohio. Uh, a lot of poverty uh, in that area. That was a new context for me in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing like a suburban life, which is what I really had spent most of my time in doing, living. Um, but getting in uh, connected with small churches in in a setting like that opened my eyes to a lot of um, a lot of needs in communities that I probably wouldn't have seen had I not done that. I, I certainly didn't fit in. Um, I was welcomed and treated well, and there was no, from my perspective, you know, I wasn't treated like I didn't fit in, but. But I had a lot to learn. Um, and then, of course, my current setting is here in Macedonia, um, probably demographically the closest to my growing up years and, and what the majority of my life um, has been uh, uh, grounded in. Uh, but also a, a, a church ministry with uh, perhaps more facility than we needed to start with. Um, and, and some uh, some things from the past that really just needed to change mm-hmm. um, as we moved into a postmodern world. Mm-hmm. I think bringing any church into that um, in that through that transition is a challenge. And, you know, we faced many of those challenges. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd say we've succeeded yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
No, uh, we're going to be talking about millennials and ministry to millennials today. And so uh, from what you've said, your ministry kind of came into being in like the middle of uh, the millennial generation. Yeah. So if 93 was the time you went into ministry, uh, millennials are kind of that age range uh, or people that have been born in the age range of 1980-ish to about 2000. Yeah. So most of your ministry has yeah. been in contact with millennials, uh, yeah. either as children, teenagers, uh, and now young adults. And so you've, you've had a lot of experiences, whether you knew it or not, <laughs> with millennials. Uh, and you're a dad of three That's exactly millennials. Right. So, I mean, you've got a lot of uh, <laughs> millennial experience, whether you, whether you knew it or not. So, <laughs> um, so a couple of things about that generation. Uh, first of all, what have you noticed um, in terms of their faith? Um, what is what are some unique things that you've observed? Um, I, 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 in in, re- in terms of faith, I think the overriding thing that I see is a, a real uh, understanding of faith and spirituality as a, as a core need for all human beings, mm-hmm. um, and less concern with the organiza- organizational side, uh, the institutional side. Mm-hmm. So that you know the the religious manifestation mm-hmm. of faith, uh, you know, previous like baby boomers and even before that, um, the focus was really on the outward expression, the building and the people and the staffing and the polity and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I started noticing with millennials that that they really uh, they really want to talk about the the driving um, personal need that they see in themselves and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot more comfortable with spiritual conversations. Um, a lot less concerned with spiritual information, mm-hmm. um, a, a, a great appreciation uh, for the value of relationships, mm-hmm. um, not n- not a contractual relationships, uh, but but personal investment mm-hmm. um, relationships that really center around trust. I think I think trust and authenticity. Um, have to be grounded in relationships for millennials, mm-hmm. not in an institution. So mm-hmm. where maybe my parents would have said, well, gosh, we trust the United States government. Um, I don't think I'd ever find a millennial to say that. Yeah, And I don't yeah. think it means a mistrust instantly, uh, but just the locus of trust. And for a church, that's mm-hmm. a big deal where you have like a hierarchical structure and historically have invested a whole lot of trust in positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Well, it's interesting you make a mention of trust as an issue for millennials. Pew Research found that um, about uh, 27% of millennials implicitly trust other people um, in comparison to their uh, generational counterparts at the same age. Um, they found that uh, that those generations tended to trust uh, other people at a at 37 percent for Gen Xers and then 40 some percent for uh, Boomers uh, from what uh, Pew Research has, yeah. and so they do have an implicit distrust <laughs> yeah. built into I think their their cultural milieu yeah. and their their mindset. Uh, millennials do so. Now, like talking about the relationship aspect as it connects with faith and stuff, what have you seen with millennials in their relationship with people at work? Um, um, 
in, in that dynamic? One of the things that I think um, has been most encouraging, and I guess I would, I would uh, put an umbrella over all this conversation uh, by saying most of what I've seen in millennials gives me great hope. Oh, yeah. um, I, I think there are definitely some trends that are, are very different, mm-hmm. um, but I think they're different in, in really valuable and important ways. Mm. Um, and one of those ways is I think there is a general awareness and, and, a, and a desire for um, the greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, philanthropy isn't quite the word um, that I want to use, but just you know, just personally invested in so in a work environment, um, less appreciation of of competition with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe if you drew the image of uh, you know when I was when I was young, my parents growing up, and I didn't experience much of it. You, know, you might look at a business person or somebody in a position that would kind of hold their information close to the chest because mm-hmm. you know if I get ahead, then you don't, or like there's only one job. And if you get it, I won't. Yeah. Um, not sharing good ideas. Uh, you know, the sale of information um, in the in the boomer age. You know, if I had information, um, it it allowed me to control you, and that gives me power. Uh-huh. Um, in millennials, I see a, a real, real understanding of the value of collaboration. Yeah. And I think possibly because information is just really worthless these days. I mean, it has no value. Mm-hmm. It's all of it available to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of a myth to suggest that you can know something that's going to make you more powerful or more wealthy because uh-huh. everybody knows it. Yeah. And so, you know, collaborating, uh, you know, on, on anything. And I, and I see it in... Uh, the appreciation of multicultural. I, I see uh, a, not, a, not a tolerance of diversity, but a real, a real desire and a need to experience diversity because diverse views and diverse world, world experiences strengthen whatever they're working on at work. And so uh, a real balanced team and, and an, an, a desire to get everyone ahead. Also, a, a key change is um, there's no value in putting in a ton of extra work just to, you know, be the first one there and the last one to leave and, mm-hmm. and burn yourself out and work real hard and earn, you know, a great pension and all these kinds of things. Uh, so in some ways, more of a living for the day mm-hmm. than working for a retirement. You know, I think that they saw their parents trying to build up this nest egg mm-hmm. and enter into retirement into this nirvana um, and they realize that's not happening for them. And I, and I think so a lot of times they're saying, you know what, I can, I can work 50 hours and, and do some things with people that make a difference. And so the, the overall life experience maybe is more balanced. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you look at uh, video games and that, that the genre of video game that, uh, that I have seen my, my kids be really interested in, all of them include some collaboration, usually online, oh, and yeah. oftentimes not with people that they know anything about. Um, hearing my son refer to a friend of his in England that he met playing League of Legends, he's never seen the guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know what else they would interact with, but he's learned things and, and interacted with them, and I think that carries into the workplace. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that, that it, I, I think it's a huge change from at least where my father uh, would have been. Yeah, yeah. And so if that's something that they have as a, a work experience, do you think that also carries into what they expect 
from the church? Like, do they expect to see the church being a collaborative, like, organization or an entity in the world? Yeah. Um, or or not? Or is there a disconnect I, there? Do you think? I I think they I think they need to. I, I think in some ways the church becomes a really difficult uh, term. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that instantly. Uh, makes it difficult to have a conversation because I, I don't think that you know a, a Bible scholar or somebody who's in the ministry professionally, when we envision the concept of church, mm-hmm. uh, we're thinking of this global body of Christ, or at least I am. Yeah. Um, and I think that millennials would like to see that, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's in the rhetoric. Um, yeah. I I think what they what they need to see in a church, if that's what they're going to call it is that there's not a top-down kind of a thing, a more, more of a level organizational experience. So, you know, the notion that there's one really powerful position at, to- at the top and then you come down this chain, mm-hmm. um, I, I think millennials need to see that flattened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and recognizing that that relationship is, is what changes lives. Mm-hmm. So in other words, instead of teaching, instead of saying, hey, teach me what the Ten Commandments say, uh, or teach me what you know. What's the central message of the New Testament, or what does the Bible say about yada yada yada? Mm-hmm. Um, they're more inclined to want to see what I'm willing to live, mm-hmm. um, and which is interesting because when we look at spirituality uh, in the in the earliest days of the church, as people started following Christ, one of the, one of the critical questions that was asked um, of an individual was, "What are you willing to die for?" You know, mm-hmm. what, what are the truths that are so valuable and so key and so real to you that you're willing to put your life on the line for? And what's the other stuff that isn't? Um, and and I, I think in some ways that's what I see in millennials. They want to know if, if I'm going to invite you to a religious experience or church experience, it better be something that I'm willing to die for. They need to see my passion in it. And if they can see that I'm willing to die for it, then they're interested in evaluating it. But if mm-hmm. it's a choice on a smorgasbord, yeah. um, again, the choice is overwhelming to millennials. There's so many choices of so many things. I remember coming back from Tanzania in 2005 with my children, all three millennials, uh-huh. and the shock that they had having seen a grocery store in Tanzania and, and a healthy, um, well, you know, thriving community not a lot of poverty. Everybody's at a pretty good level. And then coming into uh, into a supermarket in the United States, into a Meyer store, and just looking at the number of choices of margarine. Yeah. And, so, and so, I mean that that's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, I, and so I think you know you look at you Google something and we get 13 billion hits on anything. Yeah. And so that that sort of a church that offers a smorgasbord of you can pick and choose and put together your faith. I don't think that makes sense to them. I think they want to see, well, show me the peace that creates enough passion in you that, that you're willing to make a sacrifice for it. Maybe not your whole life, but some of your time, some of your, of your money, yeah. and to begin to identify with it. If it's, so, so maybe that's the hook. What, what are you using to shape your identity in Christ? Mm-hmm. That's what I would like to know about. That's what I would like to experience. Yeah, uh, yeah. N- not yeah. just the propositional information. Yeah, yeah. Now, a, a lot of the millennials that you minister to now are are 
getting into the age range of being young parents. Um, and so you've gotten to have some conversations with them, I'm sure. Uh, what are you finding uh, to be true of the family values that millennials uh, that you've encountered as young parents have? Um, the, the, the millennials that I've encountered as young parents that I think are doing it well and, and feel comfortable with it mm-hmm. um, have, have really drawn an absolute line at balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're that they're very aware, um, you know, whether they have two incomes in the home or not. Just that that you cannot sell out to any one thing that that completely distorts your entire life. So, mm-hmm. you know, where you might have seen an absentee parent, you know, dad's gonna dad or mom's gonna work and earn money and provide for the nest egg, and yeah, you might not be around a whole lot, and they might miss little league games. You know, going to an elementary school um, in with my children as millennials and seeing uh, them, then those folks be begin to have children. Mm-hmm. There's just a, a a real investment in the lives, the meaningful day-to-day lives of their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that maybe um, training is more of a mentoring process in in parenting. Mm-hmm. So so you know we, you could always hear someone make the statement you know do as i say not as i do that was like the baby boomer in previous you know sort of that's what parents head behind i'm going to tell you the right thing don't smoke but i'm not going to quit you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. and uh, you know drive the speed limit but when i'm driving don't look at the speedometer and, and there was a lot of it i mean that that was kind of the common thing i still do that with my kids well yeah <laughs> i didn't say you're good at it <laughs> but but i do hear millennial parents Understanding at least that what their children are going to pick up on most is the observed behavior. Oh yeah, uh-huh. and and yeah. so so as parents, maybe a little bit less anxiety of around performance and a little bit more understanding of experience. Yeah, yeah. That and and evaluation um, is not. You know, again, w- when I went to school, the the good and smart people got good grades in good schools, um, and and I see, and and I I think maybe it's connected to so many of those millennials purchased college degrees that return nothing on their investment, that that have, you know, seen that there's no value in a college education mm-hmm. on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when I was a child coming into the world, there was this understanding that if you had a college degree, that kind of guaranteed you a step up in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see the millennial parents being aware that that's not true for their peer group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so beginning to look for helping their children, because I think some of what they've realized is that they pursued a degree, not a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's an empty uh, ex- existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my my children understand deeply the value of knowing what their passion is mm-hmm. and making certain that they invest their lives where their passion is mm-hmm. and not worrying too much about how they're going to pay the bills and how they're going to you know stay afloat yeah. and 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 i think in because of perhaps because of that uh, i i see more of a of a, a a tendency to try to develop and know who the children are, yeah, um, yeah, and not and not be cookie cutter, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when when I was a kid, you wouldn't have a conversation about gender identity 
I mean, it just, it wouldn't have been there. Right. And, and I mean, it, if it was there, you know, there might have been some psychiatrist somewhere talking about it. Uh-huh. But it certainly wasn't something that anybody I knew ever mentioned. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't think it matters so much what your view on gender identity is as, as it does matter to recognize that I don't know a single millennial who isn't completely comfortable with the conversation. Yeah. That that, that notion of an individual being unique and and meaningful and that it that isn't about a label um and it isn't about a lifestyle it, it's about a person mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and and i and i think that i i see some of that in uh, the parenting styles yeah well thanks russ for your time hey it's my pleasure hey thanks for listening to this episode of the burlap podcast uh some great news we have some ebooks that are underway that are going to continue to help you build Uh, your skill as a leader of millennials and uh, and so those are going to be coming out this summer Uh, also continue to be uh, subscribing and uh, connecting with us on Facebook and and Twitter and uh, and signing up for uh, our our newsletter Uh, we have a great ebook that's already out called understanding millennials and you can get that for free by going over to thinkburlap.com and signing up for the ebook and if there is anything specifically that we can do for you in the area of training, uh, consulting, or even a conversation, don't hesitate to contact us at the address info at thinkburlap.com. Mm-hmm.